think we should get started. Uh, let me open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just thank you for calling us out of darkness into your light. We thank you for uh, calling us to set apart this day that we might rest and rest in you. And we pray that you would be with us. Would you help us to learn more about you and to love you more and more in this study that we're uh, continuing? Uh, bless our time, bless our conversation, uh, edify us uh, this next hour. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> so we're up to uh, Jeremiah chapter 33 today, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, 33 chapters, we've been at this for over 30 weeks. Uh, it's kind of tough to stay focused on a study when you're studying it at kind of a slow pace. So a lot of stuff happens in the six days between Sundays, right? And then suddenly, oh yeah, we're going to continue in Jeremiah today. And it's like, you know, did you read the chapter during the week or are you going to read it this Sunday morning before you come here? And um, it's tough to kind of stay focused on the message that's, that's here. It's a big book, 52 chapters. Uh, we're going to continue another 17, 18 weeks, 20 weeks, I guess, after today. But, uh, you know, when you have to teach Sunday school, a lot falls on you. You focus a lot more. You do a lot more reading. You're not just reading the current chapter. You're reading the previous chapters. You're reading the chapters after. And you find yourself meditating on this. And since I have insomnia, there's a lot of times at, at night I wake up and I start thinking about things, and I, uh, if I'm going to teach Sunday school, then, you know, my attention is drawn to that. So uh, I wanted to uh, open up our discussion today, uh, sort of set the table with sharing my thoughts about Jeremiah from, from a high view and a low view, uh, the 20,000-foot the view, and then maybe a few drill downs of things that I think are, are kind of, at least hit me anyway. Um, it's good to sometimes uh, do word studies and look at particular words, how they're used. So like a word like the covenant, covenant, uh, even a word like persistently and, and the heart, and just look through the occurrences and what, is, uh, what the verse is saying about that particular word. Um, so let's take a look, at, let's think about covenant. You know that covenant appears in the Old Testament over 270 times. That's how often that, that word appears. In Jeremiah, it appears 24 times. And uh, when you look at the verses, when, when, the, when Jeremiah is speaking about the covenant, it's uh, really ba basically two sides to it. There's the broken covenant. Uh, in Jeremiah, the people are called to hear the words of this covenant and obey them, but Though much of this prophecy, Judah is indicted for having broken this covenant. So there's the breaking of, of a covenant. Uh, and then we have uh, the mention of the new covenant. The new covenant, the everlasting covenant. So now we have uh, two sides of this use of this word. And, uh, you know, having studied the covenants last year using Palmer Robertson's book, uh, I can kind of see how this is all fitting together. Uh, we broke the first covenant, and God is constantly 
intervening and, and setting a, establishing a new covenant with, with a particular person to continue to close on uh, what he has planned in, in creation. And he's, he's still on plan A. He's on plan A, which is to reestablish that our God, his people, relationship. That's really what, what the covenant is. It's a, it's a relationship between a superior and an inferior person. And uh, in, in the creation, uh, we see that God is blessing man by giving him life and placing him in the, in, in the creation. He is made in God's image, and he is able to appreciate and observe the beauty of God's creation. And that's what, uh, uh, what, has, what man has fallen from. And we've fallen away from that, and we've fallen hard. We've, we're spiritually dead, and God has not given up. He is still on plan A, and he's going to reconcile man to himself. Um, so the covenant appears 24 times in Jeremiah, always talking about the breaking of it. That's our part. We've sinned. We've disobeyed God and the new covenant, which is going to restore things as they were and, and make them even better. Um, and he also, it's interesting that the concept of the covenants throughout the Bible Jeremiah, point, in, in, in the words he speaks, he points to several of them. Uh, so he, he continues to have them all connected, how they're, they're playing out and how everything is kind of unfolding. <clears throat> um, you could look at the word heart. And uh, heart appears uh, in Jeremiah many times. He talks about the whole heart. God calls us to return to him with a whole heart. Uh, but our heart is stubborn, it is evil. He calls on us to wash our heart. And then he mentions uh, that the problem is we, our heart is not circumcised and uh, it's incapable of, of turning back to him. And then finally, uh, in chapter 17, verse nine, we see this, this tremendous statement. The heart is deceitful and wicked, desperately sick. Who can control it? Who can understand it? So we see how uh, the, the, the problem before us is our hearts. Where our heart is, uh, there our treasure is also, and our hearts are turned toward everything else but God. Uh, another word, persistently, occurs ten times. And uh, what do you see about persistently? What is God doing persistently? He's persistently speaking. He's persistently sending prophets, persistently warning and speaking and teaching. Uh, telling us to, to not do this abomination that he hates. Uh, very useful to sometimes follow these words and see, you know, what is really going on in a, in a book. You can use that to, to track what's going on, not just reading every verse, but, but see a big picture, high-level high view of what, what is happening. I think we've all been aware of the recurring themes that are in Jeremiah. So there's the theme of indictment, God's accusation against Judah. Uh, they've, uh, they've been warned. They've been warned of the, the, there's blessings for obedience, there's punishment for disobedience. And so there's this continuing theme of indictment. Uh, God's judgment, those punishments God is uh, describing in, in quite detail exactly what's going to happen. Nation from the north is going to come in and, and destroy Jerusalem. Uh, so there's judgment. Uh, then there's also the call to repentance. God 
is persistently calling us to repentance, uh, and that is happening all the time, and it's interleaved with all these other themes. The, other, the next theme I'll say is, is hope beyond the judgment. You know, uh, sometimes it's explicit when, when God speaks about the new covenant or the everlasting covenant, it's very explicit about what that, that new hope, that, that blessing and, and promise that God has for us, in store for us. But there's also uh, times where it's very subtle. So God talks about destroying uh, Jerusalem, but he will not, what's that phrase? He will not make a full end of you. It's like five times in Jeremiah, he talks about destruction, talks about desolation, but he will not make a full end to you. It's like you read that, and it keeps on happening. And, and this also kind of uh, adds to the, the mystery of, of Jeremiah. Like, why is there so much repeating of things? 52 chapters, and you could see these themes repeating themselves over and over again. Sometimes in a leave, sometimes the juxtaposition of, uh, of judgment, and then restoration in the same paragraph. You know, one verse, next verse is talking about restoration. And kind of a, a unsettling, you know, head spinning, you know, where I'm going back and forth throughout this book. We see these, these themes being uh, interleaved together. Um, the way my mind thinks, I, I kind of like to back away and, and try to draw some conclusions and uh, you know, uh, when, a, when a pastor prepares a sermon, they, they have a strategy that what they do is they should have three themes in their sermon, right? And it's, it's really good. You don't want to have too many themes because the, the people are going to fall asleep. And it's helpful if the three themes have the same, start with the same letter. Then it's easy for them to remember, and it's like, it's like the approach is as if, you know, we're, we're really stupid or something. But, well, you know, the pastor works on the sermon, we walk in, he's putting 40 hours into it. Uh, he's got to make it easy for us to grasp. Um, I started thinking about what, what, what am I drawing from, uh, what am I learning about God from reading Jeremiah? And this is great because I have a bunch of words. They all start with R. <laughs> or as they say in New England, ah. It starts with ah. You know, okay. Uh, sorry, I have a little joke there. So what are the words that, that come to my mind? When I think about God, I think of, of him as being relentless. Why does he keep calling us into repentance? Why does he go through Jeremiah? He keeps telling Jeremiah, call them back, call them back. He's relentless because he's, like I said earlier, he's still on plan A. He still is trying to reconcile us and get that relationship, our God, his people, reestablished, and he knows uh, he's going to do it. He knows how he's going to do it. And he is relentless. But on the flip side of that, what about the people? We are relentless in sinning. You know, I, when, I, when I'm reading Jeremiah, I think of what happened in the, in the world before the flood of Noah. The world was so evil that God regretted making man. He regretted making man and... Uh, this, this phrase, this description, he says, every intention of the thoughts of their hearts was evil, only evil continually. 
And, and this is kind of a description of where Judah is at this point. So God is relentless in pursuing us, and we are relentless in turning our backs toward him and pursuing sin. And for a nation that's chosen by God, he's the one, uh, this nation that, that was led out of Egypt with a mighty hand, a strong arm and a mighty hand, and yet they fall right into the sins of the people they're supposed to drive out. Pretty amazing, but relentless is definitely a, a characteristic word. You know, relationship, like I said, God is, is still on plan A, wants to reestablish this relationship, reconcile us to him. The call to repentance, repentance is continually before us. God is continually calling us to repentance. And then we see restoration. A lot of R's here, like I said. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, uh, remnant, uh, God's judgment, the sword, famine, and pestilence, typical three-pronged judgment. Except in this case, in Jeremiah, we see there's a fourth option, and that's the option of captivity. Go into captivity. You're going to go into exile. And even in that, God is calling the people of Judah to accept that and to plan on that. And in, in that, it's also a demonstration of faith that they're actually believing God, that he's going to judge Judah this way, and this is exactly what's going to happen. And, and he even calls us to attach our welfare to the welfare of the Babylonians, to Nebuchadnezzar. So a lot of ours. Uh, uh, anyway, this chapter begins with uh, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time. So I think we might want to just take a quick look at chapter 32 uh, uh, before we jump into 33. So 32 verses 6 and 8. Uh, would somebody be willing to read that for us? 32, chapter 32, 6 through 8. Thank you, Jenny. Okay, so uh, Jeremiah is instructed to, to purchase uh, land, to get a deed signed, and this is an indication, a, a object lesson to us that eventually there's going to be a restoration to the land. Uh, but, of course, the big thing is to remember that, this, that Jeremiah is imprisoned. He's imprisoned because he keeps prophesying that uh, Babylon is going to take over and, and destroy Jerusalem. And, and the king is tired of hearing that, so he's in, he's in prison. Um, in uh, chapter 32, also, we want to read 26 through 35. Can somebody volunteer to read that? Chapter 32, 
26 to 35. Thank you, Grant. Okay, so here we have the, the, the judgments coming in full description. We have the indictment. What is the sin that they're, they're guilty of? This abomination, these uh, sacrificing of their children to the, these false gods. And so, of course, Jeremiah is saying these things. He's in prison. So now he's still in prison, and, and the word comes to him. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's good to read... Uh, a couple more verses, and I'll just do that. Beginning in verse 37. <clears throat> oh, boy. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I'll make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. <clears throat> so in that last verse, we almost get an explanation of why we have this head-spinning, interleaving of God's judgment and the destruction with the restoration and all the good that's going to follow the restoration. Uh, that the people might see the Babylonians are, co are coming they're destroying the city. They're sieging the city. That's happening just as Jeremiah prophesied. But also what Jeremiah prophesied, the restoration is also going to happen. And so they can have hope and they, could, they can believe God because the first thing has come true. The second thing, the restoration, will also come true. Uh, so that's kind of 
like 20 minutes of setting the table before we look at chapter 33, but 33 is fortunately not too long. Um, you know, we could read the whole, the whole thing, but I think what I'd like to do is just read it in parts first and then ask a few questions, see what you're, you know, draw from your uh, reactions of, of, uh, of these verses. So let me read uh, chapter 33, and I'll read uh, initially the first nine verses. And let's, let's stop and, and let's, let's talk through that. The word, word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing and I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for it. So, What about verse, verse 2? Okay, so Jeremiah is still shut up, and the word of the Lord comes to him a second time, and this is what he says. Thus, this, thus says the Lord who made the earth, and the Lord who formed to establish it. The Lord is his name. Um, I don't know. These are, these are Jews. They, had, they have to have been familiar with the, the Pentateuch. The first verse in the Bible is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, I mean, is this something that they needed to hear again? They did, they did absolutely. They're not hearing anything. God has been teaching them persistently. And so it's like, a, you know, I, I hate to use the football metaphor, but it's like a, a Vince Lombardi moment. Those of you that don't know what that is, uh, he's a winning coach of the Green Bay Packers, and, and they were having some troubles. And so he wanted to, you know, teach them and get them back to the basics. And so he said, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> That's how he started his, his lecture to them. Uh, you know, another guy, uh, he said, uh, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And, and people had lost focus. They had lost everything of their knowledge of God, and they needed to be reminded that this is, this is the God of creation. The Lord is his name, and you need to call on him. The call on there is, 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 to, is to pray, pray to him. So they needed to be reminded, um, and that's why we have uh, verses two and three in here that, 
that God speaks through Jeremiah. Okay, let's, let's, let's start back with the basics. I am the God of creation. I'm the one who you need to call on. Um, looking down a little bit further, so we have this, like I said, head-spinning uh, themes. We have verse in 5 about destruction, verses 6 and 8, hope and restoration. Um, again, like I said earlier, why, why are these things always, I, I mean, you look through Jeremiah, they're always together. Judgment, destruction, hope and restoration right next to each other. And, and it's really because uh, of the need to, to point to the, the reality, the reliability of the prophecy of judgment and uh, that the uh, promise and hope of restoration you can also rely on. But you need to call on God. You need to call on and repent. Jay. Yeah. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. He hates sin. And he's using sinful people to judge sinful people. <laughs> exactly true. Greg. Yeah. It's the special relationship that God had with, with Israel, and he's reminding them of that. And they, and they definitely need to be reminded of it. They have sunk so low, they need to, be, they need to get back to those basics. They need to be reminded of that relationship. Yeah, definitely. Any other thoughts on this? Dave. Certainly, the, the people have ears that are not hearing. Uh, the number of times they've been called back, uh, the number of times God has confronted them with their sin, uh, it, 
they're so deep in it, they're, they're, they're unable to even respond. They're, they, they're really acting exactly like in Ezekiel, those dead bones in the desert, right? They're not responding because they're dead. They can't hear anything. They can't see anything. They're incapable of thinking. They're not ca capable of, of assessing what's going on, like figuring out what, what is the problem here? Why am I here? Why am I experiencing this? They're, they're dead. They're spiritually dead. Um, and like, I, we, like we had just read in, in uh, chapter 32, maybe I did not read this, um, Chapter 32, 42 to 44, the very end. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring, them, bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Field shall be brought, bought in this land of which you are saying it is a desolation without man or beast. It is given to the hand of the Chaldeans, Field shall be bought for money, and deeds shall be signed and sealed and witnessed in the land of Benjamin, in the places of, about Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev. For I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. I think the key verse here is in verse 42. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great disaster upon this people, so I will bring upon them all the good that I promised them. Again, it's a reminder that just as the judgment has been real, the promises of restoration are real. And, and you know, looking at that one verse, now I say, okay, I get it. I get why in this book it's judgment, restoration, right next to each other, over and over and over again. God is trying to communicate and try to instill in them faith. Just as the judgment has come upon them, the restoration is for real and is, is promised to them, and it's going to happen. Uh, trying to stir up a faith. Um, faith is expressed in believing what God has said. That's, that's really, really the basis of uh, everything that we, we, we know. Um, okay. What else is going on here? So there are some things in here that maybe we have to stop and look at. Verse 8 and 9, I will cleanse them from the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. This city shall be a name of joy and praise and glory before all the nations of the earth. So we know that Israel and Judah were restored uh, to the land of Canaan. Um, out of the cap captives um, in Babylon came men like Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the wall. So they did go back, but did they ever reach this, this point where Jerusalem was a praise and glory before all the nations of the earth? And uh, the nations of the earth are going to fear and tremble because of all the good and the prosperity I provide for it? That didn't happen, really. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you're right. It did happen a little bit. We keep... 
Yeah. We're we're kind of we're kind of fortunate because we we have the New Testament. We're you know several thousand years later. We we have the full picture. This is of course pointing to the uh, uh, messianic kingdom. Uh, it's pointing to the new covenant, which has started. It's been established, and it's being worked out. It's being worked out through us who believe. Um, but you know. For God to be overjoyed over over this city, yeah, that would be that would be something. All right, moving on. Let's read uh, ten through ten and eleven. Thus says the Lord: In this place of which you say it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first, says the Lord. So what's, what is the picture here that we're getting? I mean, we have an early description of... of uh, uh, God says, I will restore the fortunes of Judah, the fortunes of Israel, rebuild them as they were at first. Now we have this, this uh, phrase. Um, um, there shall be again, there shall, shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride. Um, does that sound familiar? Ronnie? this question uh, do weddings sort of bring joy to your hearts I mean do you kind of enjoy you know going to weddings are weddings a happy thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know this phrase the voice of mirth and gladness three times in Jeremiah God says he's going to take that away. He's going to take away the voice of mirth, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, as, uh, as his judgment against uh, uh, Judah. Now to hear that that's going to be restored, there, there's something that's, that's very good about that. Uh, you know, I, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit given to you as a guarantee, a down payment uh, 
of the eventual, you know, consummation when we meet Christ. And we're all invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So that means there's going to be a marriage that precedes that. Um, you know, the restoration of the joy of a, the, the covenant of marriage between man and woman, yes. To have that again is a sign that, that there's prosperity and that there's peace in the land. If there's war going on, it's kind of tough to say, okay, time out. We're going to have a joyous uh, ceremony here, two people getting married, and we're going to have a, a reception with some good food and good wine to drink after that. Well, if there's war going on and if, if, if uh, Babylon is destroying Jerusalem, that's obviously not going to be happening. And it's that that was taken away. But God is promising to restore that. Um, I don't know. I, I see, see that as an example of, of prosperity and peace when, when people are, are, are being given in marriage and, 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 and they're getting married and they're, and they're beginning their lives together and they're bringing children to the world. That's a joyful thing. Uh, I have four children. I have nine grandchildren. I have a tenth grandchild on the way. I love those kids. I, I mean, children are a joy. I mean, I, I, I hug them and, 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 and I, I play with them and I tickle them and I, I, I joke around with them. They are a joy. And this is what God is saying he's going to restore. Um, But there's also something else that we need to take notice. Um, how have the people been toward God during, during this, time, this time in Israel and Judah's history? They've been rebellious. They've turned their back on God. They've, they've stuck I idols into the place of worship. I mean, this is really a crazy time. They've really turned their back on God. But notice what it says. When, when, Jesus, when, when the Lord says, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride. Look what happens to the people. What do they sing? Give thanks to the Lord of hosts. The Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. There's a turning that takes place. There's a response to God's goodness uh, of, of thanksgiving. Um, up to this point, they've turned their back to God. But if we also, like I said, think about this as the uh, messianic kingdom, that's really going to be when this really does take place, when the people are rejoicing because, our, you know, we're not going to be looking through a, a glass darkly any longer. We're going to see Christ. We're going to see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We're going to be per, uh, partakers of his divine nature. We're going to be eternally alive and in his presence. At that point, yeah, I think we're going to be overwhelmed with his goodness and we'll be singing, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His, his love endures forever. Um, okay. Um, verse 12 and 13, okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place that is waste without man or beast, and in all the cities there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks. In the cities of the hill country, in the cities of the Shephelah, in the cities of Negeb, 
in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Um, I think this is pretty obvious. This is a picture of, of prosperity. If all you have are two or three sheep, it doesn't take too much to count them. But if you've got a flock, if you've got a hundred of them, you want to make sure you don't lose them. So you're going to be counting them. Uh, so there's, there's a picture of prosperity. This is one of what God is, how God is describing this restoration. Um, really, uh, really abundant prosperity, uh, as, as was stated previously in, in verse 6. All right, now we're going to get to the, the meat of this. Um, verse 14 and on. I think this is it, yeah. Behold, the days are coming. <clears throat> Would someone like to read that, verses 14 till the end? This is a long, so, you know, you're, you're stepping up for a long <laughs> stretch. Sharon, honey, <laughs> all the way 14 to the end of chapter 33. <laughs> Thank you, hon. All right. So I think we all know what this is talking about. <laughs> um, so who is, this, uh, who is this righteous branch? Thank you. That's, that, that's like, you know, the, the easy question to toss up. You know, but it's because we, uh, we know our Bible. We, uh, we're all Christians here. We know that this is Christ. 
He's the righteous branch. He's the offspring of David, uh, the promised uh, one, really even going back to the Garden of Eden, uh, the seed of the woman to have enmity with the seed of the serpent. Uh, it's the spirit of Christ, and this is him now uh, having been born and lived and died for us. Um, I think what's really interesting here, and, and again, it kind of uh, supports the, the significance of the, of, the co of the covenant, the word covenant, and tracking the covenants through, through the Bible of uh, the kind of assurances that God is giving uh, that these things are going to happen. So how do you describe these things? What, what is, what's God saying here? Uh, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at the appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. What, what is he talking about, breaking the covenant of day and night? Where do we hear that? Greg. Okay. So he's really talking about like the creation, which uh, Genesis one, day and night started uh, in creation. Okay. Yeah. Any other reference about day and night that we know about? Oh boy. Come on, come on. The covenants. Which covenant? Okay, I'll, I'll give you the answer. Okay, Cynthia. I thought you were raising your hand. You raised your hand. I'm, I'm expecting an answer, Cynthia, so come on. Yes. Yeah. So, no, that, that's good. That's, that's good. So, really, what I, was, what I had in mind was the covenant with Noah. When Noah came out of the ark, he built an altar uh, to God, and God made a covenant with him. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 9. And there's a, real, there's a reason why I think this is so significant. Oh, wait a second. Is it nine? No, it's eight. Um, Genesis 8, verse 20. All right, I'll, I'll read this just to keep it moving along. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, 
I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Um, Jeremiah, God is pointing back to this covenant with Noah. At this point, God promises never to destroy the world again by flood, even though at that point before the flood, the world was incredibly evil and he had, had regretted making man and uh, said, I've got to do away with them. Every thought, every intention of their heart is evil only. But here he says that's not going to happen anymore. And when we studied the covenants last year, one of the things that we took out of this was the reason why God is not going to destroy the world again by flood, a global flood, a global destruction of everyone, save Noah, is because he knows that there, his heart is continually evil. So it says here, never will I again... Uh, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. He's almost saying, like, I'm not going to destroy the world because he's always evil. But the point is, is that he knows that God knows that he has to have institute a better solution. That's what we learned last year when we studied the covenants. That at this point, God said, okay, daytime, har seed time, harvest, day and night will, is going to continue uh, as I continue to covenant with man and bring about uh, restoration of man. And right here, uh, when he says this, he's saying, David is going to have a man on the throne. There's going to be a priest uh, to make sacrifices for us. And we know the end of the story. If we, if we go to Hebrews, we could read all about it, and, and I think it's chapter 7, 6, 7, and 8 in Hebrews. It talks about how, how Christ is the, uh, our eternal high priest and our mediator of, of the better covenant, the new covenant, the everlasting covenant, the one that we really need, the one that really, I'm sorry, it seals the deal. I don't know how else to put it. It's, it that is what what does it? That's what's going to accomplish what God's purpose is in restoring us and having that relationship once again, our God, his people, which is what his point was in creation. Uh, a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Um, so just to conclude, we're going to finish early. This is great. God is a covenant-keeping God. He is still on plan A. He will establish the our God, his people relationship. He took an oath with Abraham, and he will fulfill it. And he is fulfilling it now. So um, my last thought on this is, you know, it's maybe not specific to chapter 33, but when I think about Jeremiah and I think about what uh, God put him through, um, the apostles, uh, the prophets, they all suffered. Uh, 
you know, Jeremiah was persecuted. Um, God made him an example many times. He, would, he put a, a yoke on him that he had to walk around with to, sh to, to show how all the nations were going to be yoked to, to Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, he was thrown in jail because he prophesied the truth and the people that were hearing didn't like what they heard. And I thought to myself, you know, it's not really that much different now. Um, and my, my thoughts turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'd like to close with that. Um, Second Corinthians 5. beginning in verse 17, I'm sure it's pretty familiar. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God, that, that is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think what struck me was that, is that the message of reconciliation has been given to us who have now been saved through Christ. And I think we're called to do exactly what Jeremiah was doing. Pronouncing judgment, pronouncing restoration. You know, people are living their lives not knowing that uh, this death sense that we have is just the beginning of judgment. You know, judgment follows our deaths, and they don't realize that there's, there's a second death. And we had the message of reconciliation, just like Jeremiah had the message of reconciliation. So I think uh, it, it makes me think even more about, you know, witnessing opportunities and that we, are, we should not give up. I mean, how many times did God go after Judah in, in Jeremiah? 52 chapters. You know, I, I honestly felt this was almost a ponderous study. You know, you read it's like, oh, gosh. But... It's telling me that God didn't give up, and he kept sending Jeremiah. Jeremiah was, was beaten, locked up, and persecuted. He didn't give up, even though, even though he had uh, weaknesses, and God had to bolster him and encourage him to keep speaking. Uh, and neither should we, because uh, it's a fallen world we're in, and uh, people need Christ. All right, I'm sorry I did so much talking. That's, that's what happens sometimes. I, I can't. Steve has a, has a gift of coming up with great questions for discussion. I'm, I don't have that gift. My, my questions are kind of yes or no, you know. <laughs> but um, I, would, I would keep that in mind. You know, if, if, if there's something that's valuable for us uh, out of this is that Jeremiah was persistent. God was persistent. And we should be persistent with uh, those around us who need Christ. Okay, let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much. Um, we are like dumb sheep. We do need uh, you to repeat things to us. We do need you to uh, um, continually teach us, warn us. Lord, uh, we pray that you would use us, that we would continually speak for you and speak to those who need you. And we uh, just thank you for this time, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.